Well, I invite you to pull out your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. That's where we'll be this evening. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And I will read it aloud for us, starting in verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. This is God's word. Amen. Let's bow in prayer before we come to this text. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would speak to us through your word during this time. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. You promise that it will not return empty but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. I pray tonight that that would be so, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, as we sit under this passage. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Forgiveness. The concept of forgiveness is a delightful one. I imagine if we surveyed people of any faith, religion, and worldview and asked what general connotation they carry with the word forgiveness, most would say it's very positive. Forgiveness, reconciliation. It's a wonderful topic for us to Embrace and welcome this evening as a church family. But forgiveness is one thing in the abstract, and it's another thing in actuality. It's one thing as a concept, and it's another thing as a concrete way of living. It's, it's one thing on paper, and it's another thing in practice. And I think C.S. Lewis put it well when he said these words, Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Do you have something to forgive? I know I have. And I know I can resonate with the words of C.S. Lewis. And I would imagine that the church in Corinth could resonate with that phrase as well. Did you notice the tone of the text tonight? 
In verse 8, Paul begs the church to forgive. It's clear. The church is in need of Paul's urgent appeal to move them from considering forgiveness to pursuing it. And so too for us. You could imagine, if you'd like, a headline for this sermon in three words. Fighting for forgiveness. That's what Paul is doing. He's not picking a fight with the church. He's not picking a fight with an individual in the church. No, he's fighting for forgiveness. This is his appeal in the text that we have. And so tonight I make it my appeal. College Church, may we fight for forgiveness. And the question is, how how are we to do this? What, What does it look like to fight for forgiveness? And in this text, we're given what you could think of as a path. And there are three stops on the path that the Apostle Paul makes as he fights for forgiveness. And so first in verses five through six, there's a pain, a pain worth punishing. Then in verses seven through eight, there's a plea, a plea worth receiving. And then verses nine through 11, there's a purpose, a purpose worth motivating. A pain worth punishing, a plea worth receiving, and a purpose that's worth motivating this fight for forgiveness. Where does it start? It begins with a church family that's in pain. (laughs) A church family that has drama, as Pastor Ben Panner put it a couple weeks ago. We are entering into the family drama. And so take a look at verse 5, a pain worth punishing. I'll read it again, verses 5 and 6. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. We're swirling in the midst of a specific context in Corinth. And we need to remember that Paul is speaking about pain. You can just look at the previous few verses. The previous four verses mention pain five times. It's in a larger section where he's defending the integrity of his ministry. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we read that he paid the church what seems to be an unexpected painful visit. And instead of making another visit that would likely be painful. He adjusted his future plans. And so he wrote a letter, chapter two, verse four. And although this letter seems like it was painful to write, it's described by Paul as he's having tears in his eyes. Paul's point was his motive was loving. It's for their own good. He's calling them to obedience. There's a lot of context in 2 Corinthians that we'll continue to to read about as we work through it, but what did this obedience look like? It's likely he was telling them to punish a specific individual who caused pain. And so, again, you could put it this way. There's been some family drama in Corinth, and Paul wants to address it. There were some painful days at church. 
wonder if anyone can resonate with that. And so the move, and see the move from the context, the passage before to our context, it moves from Paul speaking generally about his relationship with the church and the pain that's existed there to a specific pain point. Verse 5 tells us there is someone who has caused pain to the church. And if you're anything like me, you read that and you think, okay, what's, what's the story behind this? Who's the individual? What happened? But Paul's intent in our passage is, is not to rehash what happened. That's not the intent. He doesn't drag this individual through the mud. He doesn't even name the individual. And so the answer to who is this person, is we don't know. We don't know. We have some good ideas, but we don't know. Paul's intent was not to circle back and go through all these events and put them on paper. Some suggest that this might be the, the man back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a sexually immoral man, and while there are similarities for sure, I think it seems unlikely for a number of reasons. And just to share a few, the, the, the tone in verse 10 doesn't seem to match the offense that's described in 1 Corinthians 5. And in our text, it seems to indicate that this person did something personal, some sort of personal injury against Paul, and there's no indication that that was the case for the man in 1 Corinthians 5. Most commentators and I myself land on the view that likely this was a person who led some sort of revolt against Paul in his apostolic ministry. And it seems to be associated with this painful visit. We don't know what happened. We can't put together all the pieces. But it seems that there was, at some sense, somebody pushing back against Paul publicly. And even as we read the rest of the book, or as you've read it, you can recognize that that context does exist, as we'll see later. And so with, with that in mind, what are we to make note about this pain in verses 5 and 6? There's, there's two things. First, this pain was communal in nature. Yes, it's public. Yes, it's personal at some level to Paul, but ultimately communal. Did you notice that Paul downplays any pain that might have been caused to him personally. His concern is not for defending himself or starting to pick a fight. His concern is for the corporate consequences of the actions of this individual on the church. His concern is for the church family. It hurt the church. The pain was communal. And second, verse 6 It shows us that the punishment was administered. In some official sense, that we we don't know all the exact details, but there seems to be some sort of verdict of punishment that was distributed by the majority of the church. That's what the text says. This would be some measure of church discipline or something parallel to it. Punishment was administered. So there was this communal pain, and then at some level, therefore, there was this communal punishment by the majority. 
Doesn't the path to fight for forgiveness unfortunately start with pain? It does in this text, and I'm sure you know it does in your own lives. There's a lot of personal pain that has been experienced in this room. Far more than I'm aware of, or any of us can be aware of. And I think we need to be sensitive to that with one another. And so I want you to see why these first verses are so valuable. Because the path to fight for forgiveness reminds us of how forgiveness does not begin. Look at, look at how forgiveness does not begin in this text. Forgiveness does not begin by acting like pain never took place. Forgiveness does not begin by believing what happened doesn't matter anymore. Forgiveness does not begin by downplaying the present and ongoing impact of sin. Forgiveness does not begin by assuming punishment isn't appropriate. Forgiveness begins here in this text by acknowledging the full reality and impact of sin. And so to those who have experienced horrific pain that has been swept under the rug, not acknowledged, I am saddened by that. I cannot even begin to understand being in your shoes. But I hope you see that in the text that the church can provide the stage for real forgiveness to occur precisely because it's the place where we can acknowledge pain and sin for what it is. We can be honest about pain and sin. This is what Paul does. So too may we. The first stop on the path to fighting for forgiveness, we see a pain worth punishing, verses 5 and 6. But Paul moves quickly into what seems to be his main emphasis, verses 7 and 8, and it's a plea worth receiving. Hear the plea in verse 7 and 8. I'll read it again. So you should rather turn to forgive him and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. You can hear the emotion coming off the text, off the page. He's, he's desperate in a sense. He's, he's begging them. He says that punishment has served its purpose. And it seems clear that this individual at some level is repentant, is feeling sorrowful over the pain that was caused and is in danger of being driven to overwhelming sorrow or despair. And Paul's saying, you need to forgive him. You need to reaffirm your love for him. You need to comfort him. Now, I think it's important to hold this context and see how it's different from the context we saw in 1 Corinthians 1, 5, how this situation is different than that. In 1 Corinthians 1, 5, uh, 
1 Corinthians 5. If you're not familiar with it, that's okay. There is a man who is sinning that is not repentant and is not burdened by his sin, but in some sense seems to be boastful in it. And Paul's words are different there. He says to deliver this man to Satan, to remove him from the church. Why? So that his spirit might be saved. So that he might be saved. You see, punishment is not for punishment's sake. Church discipline is to glorify God, to protect the purity of the church and for the reclamation of the sinner. The sinner might recognize their wrong and turn from their sin and be restored. As a young child, I was very disobedient and I was often extremely disruptive at the dinner table. And so I was regularly punished and I was spanked. And I'm not, I'm not making a statement tonight about spanking. I know parents have different views on that and I think that's okay. I do believe my parents did it in a God-honoring way, clearly communicating their love for me and that what I did was wrong. But that's fine. We can disagree about how to parent children. No problem. That's not the point. But I joke with people one day that I'm going to write a book that's called How Spanking Saved My Life. (laughs) The punishment was not for punishment's sake but for my own good that I would turn from one way of living and embrace another way. The goal was greater than punishment. The man in the text and the man in 1 Corinthians 5 were both punished with a purpose, but the difference was that one was repentant and one was not. And so Paul says to those that this man has pained in our text. He says, please, I want you to forgive this man. I want you to comfort him. I want you to reaffirm your love for him. You see how Paul's shepherding them? Paul will will not let a grudge be his God. He will not let what seems to be a personal war become what he worships. He will not let the opposition become his obsession. He models forgiveness to the repentant sinner, and he's urging the church to do it. He he gives them and he gives us a plea to do the same. Paul is fighting for forgiveness. This is what it looks like. And I think the question tonight for us, the first question is, will we be a church family that forgives? Or will we allow a grudge to control us? And the question must be asked personally for us as well. Am I withholding forgiveness from my brother, from my sister in Christ? we dive into this question, I think it's important to understand what we mean by forgiveness. How are we to understand forgiveness? This is what we're fighting for as it's presented to us 
in Scripture? How are we to understand it? In one sense, you might say forgiveness could be described as not having bitterness against those who have wronged us. Jesus says, does he not, to love your enemies. Paul says to keep no record of wrongs. God is even described in Nehemiah as a God who is ready to forgive. One might call this dispositional forgiveness or a disposition to forgive. And yes, I believe the Bible calls us to this posture even when someone is unrepentant. But don't miss the point. Don't miss the fuller sense of what the Bible in a fuller sense shows us about what forgiveness truly is. In a fuller sense, forgiveness is conditioned upon repentance in the scriptures. It is a gracious pardon that yields reconciliation and is conditioned conditioned upon repentance. Think of the beginning of the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Luke. We hear a shouting, a proclamation of a repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Peter says in Acts 2.38 to repent for forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Paul's plea to the church in this passage, in context, is to forgive the repentant sinner. That's the context. Yes, there was pain. Yes, the impact was great. But our goal is not to hold the sin of a repentant sinner over them, to to drive them to despair, to overwhelming sorrow. We have to, we must receive Paul's plea. Forgive those who repent. And this must be our corporate attitude as a church. This isn't talking about a specific one-on-one situation. This is a corporate situation. And I, I can't say I've been encouraged and I've seen this in our midst. I've seen our elders even shepherding in a way that when there is pain, when there is breach and a break in relationship, they are not only ready to forgive, but do forgive when repentance occurs. And I praise God for that. However, I think there, there is an application. Not just corporately, but personally for us as well. And it's consistent with Scripture. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Remember, that doesn't mean ignoring the pain. It doesn't mean downplaying the impact or even assuming that punishment isn't necessary. All those things can still be true, and yet we still need to forgive. So true in this text. This is what we're called to. I don't think the Bible ever says that forgiveness is easy. I haven't seen that verse. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul knew it's hard. How else would you explain the tone here? If forgiveness was so easy for the Christians in Corinth, it would be a quick line item. Make sure you forgive him. We would not see the tone of verse 8. And I know tonight, hearing these words, it can seem unreasonable. 
Why do I have to forgive someone who did me such harm? And I want you to see that I think Paul anticipated your question. And he answers it in verses 9 to 11. So look at, look at verses 9 through 11. It's a purpose worth motivating our forgiveness. I'm going to read it again. It says, For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. The purpose for the church forgiving in this text is obedience for their own sake. That's why Paul wrote the letter to test their obedience as they punish, but then also now to test their obedience as they are called to forgive. He is letting them know that in verse 10, they are not going to be out of step with him if they forgive. And his own example of forgiveness and calling them into it is for their sake in the presence of Christ. Obedience for their own sake. You say, well, what's at stake then? What's at stake if we don't forgive? What's the purpose to motivate our forgiveness in the text? And this is so important. Paul tells us in verse 11, his plea is to forgive so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Get this. When we fail to forgive, we fall for the designs of Satan. Think about that. He says, you know the designs of Satan. We are not ignorant of his designs, the text says. Do you know the designs of Satan? Do you know that Satan has schemes to trick us and to outwit us? Do you know how bitterness towards one another can be used to fracture the family of God? Do you know how something so small that goes unaddressed can grow into something so large? Do you know the temptation to believe that it is in your best interest to withhold forgiveness from somebody? Are you being tricked tonight? We hate being tricked, right? We hate being outwitted. A failure to forgive means we have succumbed to the schemes of Satan. The words of the Apostle Paul. Friends, Satan has his designs. But so does our Savior. Do you know the designs of Christ? Do you remember the forgiveness you needed when you came as a sinner before a holy God? the overwhelming sorrow of your own sin in your own life, do you know that the designs of Christ are seen at the cross where the pain that was worth punishing was not dismissed, but it was carried out, and it was carried out on Jesus, where God in Christ forgave sinners. We have been forgiven in Christ. We have been comforted in Christ. We have been reaffirmed 
and loved in Christ. That's his design. Those are the designs of Christ, so that you may go and do likewise. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When we forget the designs of Christ, we are in danger of being outwitted by the designs of Satan. But when we revel in the designs of Christ, we are empowered to demonstrate what true forgiveness looks like. I think maybe we've given people outside the church the wrong idea. The church is not primarily a place of perfection, but it's a place where true forgiveness can be modeled and experienced. And we live in a harsh an unforgiving world, and people are longing for forgiveness. That's what they want. They're longing for acceptance, for comfort, to be reaffirmed and, and loved by others. And that longing is found in God. And if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're here tonight, hear me, forgiveness and acceptance is offered to you this day. Pardon. A gracious pardon is offered to you this day for all the wrong that you have done, for all your rebellion against your maker. Full acceptance from God should you repent. Turn from your sin and cling to Christ for your salvation. Offered to you. But we also must say that should you not repent, there will be no true forgiveness. Yes, God is ready to forgive. His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. The scriptures say that. But if we don't, if you don't, he will judge your unrepentance. In the words of scripture, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. His justice is the only hope we have that every unjust pain anyone's experienced will be accounted for. And so to those of us then who are following Christ, we must fight for forgiveness. A failure to forgive is a failure to follow Christ. A church that fails to forgive repentant sinners has forgotten the gospel, has forgotten who we were, and it, do, it doesn't just impact one, one sinner who's overwhelmed. It fractures everybody. Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. Forgiveness is not found in moral laxity, failing to address pain and sin. Nor is it found in legalism, which condemns at every corner and gives no option to forgiveness. No, forgiveness is found in Christ, in acknowledging pain and sin. And we who have tasted and experienced forgiveness, we are equipped for this task. You go out equipped to be able to do this. And should we choose not to forgive? Should we choose not to show mercy to others? Jesus warns us 
And Paul has warned us here in verse 11. But Jesus in Matthew 18, read it tonight, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, 35, we will be judged without mercy. Paul's word, Christ's word, reminds us our obedience to forgive is for our own sake. We have good reason to forgive. Paul lived in a church full of drama, a church full of pain, a church that experienced forgiveness personally but was slow to offer it to others. And his warning is clear. There is a fight that we must lean into, and it's not with each other. It's with Satan. And Paul says, don't be tricked. Don't be outwitted. Don't fight with one another and withhold forgiveness. Fight for forgiveness. Fight for the designs of Christ to control his church. And I pray we would do so this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have the forgiveness that we so long for and need. We thank you, God, for choosing to forgive repentant sinners for being God who is ready to forgive. That your kindness is meant to lead us towards repentance. And I pray, Lord, that you would protect us from being outwitted, from being tricked. To treat others in a way that we have not been treated. Having found forgiveness in Christ, that we would fall for the schemes of Satan and fail to Give it to our brothers and sisters. Lord, I know this is a hard word, and the church in Corinth needed to be urged towards this. And I pray that you would, by your Spirit, meet each one according to their need. That you would comfort those who have experienced great pain, even tonight. That you would equip us to be a people, and to be a family that forgives. That you would be glorified, and also for our own good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.